everything that we do, every decision that we make and every action that we take in life causes a ripple effect. And I want the ripples that I create to wash over people softly and not crash down on them. So that's how we run our company. And I think with my background and, and watching, you know, that EITC scholarship change my life, other potential donors and families and parents and business owners see the impact that they can have. This is Women Who Build Empires, a podcast celebrating women entrepreneurs and thought leaders who are turning the tables on outdated old school belief systems and building business empires that align with who they are, how they work, and how they are leaving a lasting legacy. And I'm your host, Emmy Kirshner, serial entrepreneur, investor, and business consultant for ambitious women entrepreneurs who are boldly taking their business to the next level. In each episode, you're going to get to know the women who are unafraid to put it all on the line as they share the stories of how both success and failure have helped them become incredible CEOs. Every once in a while, I meet somebody who I can't imagine being in their shoes and walking the path that they have walked. And today's guest, Elise Maslonic, is definitely one of those people She has had incredible challenges while growing up. She went from living in a domestic abuse shelter to creating a self-funded business that now raises millions of dollars for underprivileged children. She is the CEO and founder of Redefine Ed Advisors, which is a strategic development partner for non-public and private schools that offers a wide array of services to help schools grow funding and enrollment. And she's also a complete inspiration. She has quickly grown her company and become one of the top 3% of women-owned businesses. And in their interview, not only does she share her story, her passion, why it's so important to make great education available for all kids, regardless of their socioeconomic status, but she talks about how she's building her team very, very differently and why that matters to her. Hey, Elise, I am so excited to have you here today. We were just saying, well, I was just saying before we hit record that I'm completely blown away by your success. You have made magic happen in the last year. So share with everybody a little bit about what you're doing and your rise into becoming I think it's in the top 3% of women business owners. Well, thank you, first of all, for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. So my name is Elise Maslonic, and I am the founder and CEO of Redefine Advisors. And we are an outsourced development company for private schools, K through 12, throughout the United States. And we help raise funding and grow enrollment through some really cool capability to identify prospective families that are interested in private enrollment lead generation technology, that we have the capability to identify prospective families that are interested in private schools. And it really transforms the admissions process for private educational institutions throughout the United States. And my story, it's been wild, honestly. Uh, (laughs) There's really no other way to describe it. I started, you know, my life. And I think the catalyst to all of this is when I was young, I grew up pretty poor in a very abusive home. And 
I used to, as a fifth grader, just walk to the local church by myself. And I would go there three times a week. And eventually one of the pastors said, you know, if you want to go to our school and I know there's tuition, your family probably can't afford it. We got what's called an educational improvement tax credit scholarship, and we can cover your tuition if you'd like a chance to attend a private school. And I was so excited (laughs) because I was one of those I always call it a why kid, a why student. So if a teacher would talk to me and tell me some, to do something, I would always ask why. And so oftentimes that would come off as defiant, but it really wasn't. It was looking back, I'm very purpose driven. And so I needed to understand why I was doing something. So in public school, I was really just falling through the cracks and seen as a troublemaker. And this scholarship made it possible for me to attend another school that didn't see my why kind of attitude as defiant. And they really took me in and taught me about faith in God. And so I just started developing ideas on how I could really help other students that were in the same position I was. Because I always say I'm a statistical anomaly, right? The human form of someone that really shouldn't be where I am today. And I want other kids and children that were born in circumstances like I was to have that opportunity. So we developed ways through Redefine Advisors to grow these scholarships. We've raised uh, nearly $10 million in the last year since we've started for scholarships for students in Pennsylvania, which will cover their tuition to make it affordable so that no child has to stay in a school that is not working for them and that No matter your income or circumstance that you were born into, these children can have the opportunity to have love at school when maybe they don't have it at home. Yeah, that's it's amazing. Like your story that one person made like a huge difference and was really a catalyst and how not really random, I guess, but but random in a way like you happen to be the one person that he asked like that opportunity was kind of divine intervention in some ways. I agree with you. I always say, I think that our company has grown so quickly because we were founded on the belief that a simple act of kindness can transcend generations and change the course for entire families through multiple decades, just from a simple act of kindness. And that's how I run my company. And this EITC program where we raise scholarship funding is built on that belief. And I feel very strongly about it because if it weren't for the kindness of a stranger, I wouldn't be sitting here. And by all accounts, I would have a very, very rough life and probably ended up in the system in some way. So I feel very thankful. And it kind of goes back to that. Everything that we do, every decision that we make and every action that we take in life causes a ripple effect. And I want the ripples that I create to wash over people softly and not crash down on them. So that's how we run our company. And I think with my background and and watching, you know, that EITC scholarship change my life, other potential donors and families and parents and business owners see the impact that they can have Mm -hmm. by participating in this program. Yeah. I mean, yes, because you and I had a conversation previously too, where I said I was aware of a boarding school in Delaware where they had several scholarship programs, and it really changed the lives of some of these kids who were inner city kids who had no other options. Like their 
if they, it was either this and really take a risk and feel out of place in a very different environment, both geographically and culturally, or stay within the confines of a very, you know, the neighborhood they grew up with, like in a very limited world with no options, because that's what had been for their families and for their the people they associate with for generations. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think so much of when I think of my childhood and it's nothing against public school. I mean, there are millions of children that thrive in public school, right? Mm-hmm. For me and my experience, it was not that. So yeah. I went through, you know, years of abuse with my stepfather. And when the kids at school found out, they bullied me because my dad abused me, you know, and, and I think had I stayed in that, and those people, and those kids, and even the parents were just awful. I think I am so grateful to have been able to escape that, Mm -hmm. and finally have love and acceptance and not pity. I didn't want ever want pity. Again, my life was extremely hard in certain ways. But I just wanted people to treat me like a normal person. And I was not getting that in public school. And I, again, I know that had I not had that opportunity and that funding, I, my self-esteem would have been deplorable and just non-existent. So it was the catalyst to something greater. And it's nice to be able to be so passionate about that and understand for myself how much that changed my life. And so I wake up every single morning knowing that if I work a little harder, I'm going to change a little bit more for other students. And so we wake up every day and work to complete that mission so that no child ends up without a hand up when they could really need it. Yeah, it's beautiful. What is the impact of generational poverty on a child's future success? Because to me, it's very limiting. Yeah. Yes. I, that's such a great question. The impact of generational poverty is huge. Again, I know I've been there and it's like being stuck in the mud and you're just, you know, full speed, full gas. And the more that you push the gas, the more, the deeper that you sink, right? Because it's this mindset that surrounds you and not just your own family, but your extended family and the people that your family surrounds themselves with, right? No one's ever made it. And you seem crazy for believing that you can. And I think for so many children, you look at the statistics and the children that end up incarcerated or addicted to drugs and those types of outcomes, they're extremely high, extremely high. And being able to escape and have, you know, a school or someone show you a different path, that it's not crazy that you're ambitious and you feel like you're the one. I always say, I know, and I've always known from a young age that I was the one in my family that was going to make it stop. I knew it. I believed it. And I know there's so many kids out there that feel the same. And those kids, if they get that hand up, they pull everyone else with them. They pull everyone else with them. And it is so important to identify those kids and get them the hand up because what they can do with it is absolutely remarkable. And they can change the world 
And yeah, the impact is terrible. It just beats you down and it makes you feel like, honestly, a little bit crazy whenever you're young and you're stuck in that kind of cycle. Yeah. I feel like there's a mindset just based on some of the volunteer work I've done in Philadelphia and a few other places too, that it like with the rare exceptions, you being one of them, for the most part, the thought of, and the mindset of, I can do something to change the way things are, isn't there. Mm -hmm. So there's that struggle constantly because people aren't seeking different ways to get out particularly, Mm -hmm. which I think is normal human behavior. It's just, there's everybody's so beaten down and Mm -hmm. there's, as you said, more drugs, more violence, more dysfunction on a bigger scale. So that becomes the norm. Mm -hmm. And what I have found is when you're, it, it took me a lot of years, even after I went through that school to realize that the trauma that I had been through shaped every part of who I was. And even when I felt like I had escaped, right, the way in which I defined love or recognized love was so incorrect, (laughs) was so, so, so incorrect. And you realize that it's not necessarily about just escaping, but really healing from all of those trauma responses. When you grow up and you're poor and you don't know, or you have an abusive, you know, stepfather and you don't know what's next, you are constantly in a fight or flight response. And it takes a lot to overcome that, you know, and and that that's a, I think a bigger implication of generational poverty and what that impact has on education, because there are so many kids, yeah, they may not have the type of funding, right, or income base in their family that can give them the tools. But then on top of that, there is often abuse and struggle behind that, that really develops the child's brain into trauma response, again, trauma responses. And we need to help kids with that. Absolutely. Because it's informing all of their experiences and the decision-making processes they have. And then there's experiences as they, as we all, I mean, we all have different trauma. I think just being in poverty, it tends to be more excessive Mm-hmm. And obviously not always, but a lot of times. And then you grow into an adult with these experiences and the filter almost of mm-hmm. this is the expectation. So then you have triggers to things that really aren't there mm-hmm. and doing the work to uncover all of those and to slowly remove them mm-hmm. isn't easy. No, it's really painful. <laughs> and it almost, I remember I was almost 30 years old when I realized, Elise, you still <laughs> are reacting in the way, you know, I oftentimes I think about the trial and testifying against my stepfather in that criminal case. And I ended up having to just go through some custody stuff for my son. Right. And I froze on the stand and I realized, my goodness, I never realized the impact that watching this man, my stepfather do in horrible things to not just me, but other people. And being able to walk away a free man after, right? I listened to the non-guilty verdict. I watched that judge cry and say he was sorry, but that's that he couldn't give, you know, the guilty verdict. And I think I just put it in the back of my mind so much that I didn't realize how impactful those moments in my life were that I didn't reach out for help anymore because I did 
And the whole world kind of, in my mind, the whole world kind of shut me out, you know? And I think there's a lot of kids that experience that, that they're tired of asking for help because when they do, the people that they think are going to help them, they betray them. And that hurts so deeply. Yeah. And I don't think it's intentional sometimes based Mm -hmm. on some of the experiences I've had is that they're incapable or unable Mm -hmm. at the, that moment to do the right thing, if you will. Absolutely. Um, But it's on the receiving end of that. It is, it's, it's hurtful. And then you feel, I think, abandoned or distrustful. So how do you bridge that gap so that you can trust and then create positive things on the other side of that? So, I mean, one, thank you so much for sharing and being vulnerable and being open to being vulnerable. But two, I think you're not alone in the experiences that you have had and we have to talk about them more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I've always been very embarrassed. You know, I've always felt shame, right? I again, my life has been wild. My biological father, you know, forced us into a domestic abuse shelter. That's how I started my first year of life. And that's embarrassing that my biological father would want to end my life. That was always embarrassing to me. Right. And I never wanted to share that. And then I thought to myself, the more that I became successful in my business, the more I realized that there are other women, there are other girls, there are other boys out there that their parents or biological parents or step parents have mistreated them in such an awful, cruel way. And if they're just seeing me now, they just see me as a successful businesswoman. But I want them so much to see that I walk through fire <laughs> and they can too. You know, like I walked through it, it burned, baby, it burned <laughs> and it hurt and it was hard, you know. And what they're seeing today is such a result of all of it. And had I not lived through all of that, I would not be the person I am today. So it does, it's hard to see the light from behind when you're, you know, digging through that tunnel, but you have to just keep doing it. And grit and resiliency is, in my opinion, greater than most college educations. So I just think that those life experiences should you choose to take them and let them fuel this anger and motivation within you, you're unstoppable. And it's really cool to see that happen in other kids. And hopefully by sharing my story, the good parts and the really bad parts that, you know, even one child out there will understand that this struggle is meant for something bigger one day. Absolutely. Like most, most definitely. And, and I think hearing your story fuels the fire for me, definitely, but I think everyone to really use those negative experiences in a positive way to create something bigger than what you might have ordinarily. Yeah, I'd love to learn a little bit more about your kind of entrepreneurial journey too, because you were 20, you had $63 in your pocket, went to go live with your grandfather, whom you had never met. You had just connected with him on Facebook. Mm-hmm. So like, that's scary and bold and... Yeah. You knew you needed to, I think, get out, but also help. So kind of going from there, what were the steps of you starting the business? Sure. So yeah, I decided, I testified against my stepfather and the non-guilty verdict came. And the next day I was like, why am I even here? (laughs) I need to find, I mean, this isn't working. So I needed a huge change. And it's kind of like, you know, those you always hear women that go through a breakup, they cut their hair and do something different. No, I felt like I needed to do something like 
wildly profound, right? So yeah, I drove down to North Carolina. I had $63 to my name and just like the junkiest car in the world, but I made it barely, but I I did make it. And I enrolled in real estate school because again, I had talked to you before, like I'm not that student that fits in a box, right? I just am not. And home ownership to me back then felt like a pipe dream, right? Like I just never thought that I could ever own a home. And so how cool would it be to give people the American dream through my work, right? So I just fell in love with it, stayed in North Carolina, and I managed a property for a company called Riverstone Residential. It was an asset held by JP Morgan. It was a multi-million dollar asset. And there I was like 21 years old. I went from waitressing at an Applebee's like 10 hours a day, just like get by and pay for my real estate school and licensing to managing these properties. And I just loved it because again, it was giving people something I never thought I could even have. Right. And that felt so good to me. Just, it felt so good and you can't teach passion. And I think once I I realized, wow, I, I can do this. I was you know, knocking out every top spot. And I thought, okay, little by little, my belief in myself to actually get out Mm -hmm. was growing. And so I just kept going and kept going. And so I, long story short, my husband was my first boyfriend when I was 15. And so I had moved back to Pennsylvania and we reconnected and were married, have three kids. But while I was out here, I was in banking and I loved it, but corporate stuff is not for me. Again, it's kind of that box, box. right? I don't like people <laughs> telling me that I can't do something. And so I was pregnant with my daughter, Gracie, and she at seven months, I left the bank, seven months pregnant, left, left the bank and got another job working for this guy that was raising money through the EITC program that I received as a child. And I started working with him. His business just kind of grew so fast because I was so passionate. We were picking up schools. But then I also realized on that one side, I still had someone, it was his business, right? It was his business. And so he offered me a percent, but it wasn't 51%. And I wasn't going to stay if I couldn't take the wheel. And so (laughs) I gave birth to my son. We had them really close together. I gave birth to my son. And six weeks later, I quit my job. (laughs) And I was like, all right, I'm going to create a business and I'm going to do this. And within three months, I signed a quarter of a million dollar contract, which is unbelievable. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And I was genuinely, I went from, you know, a few weeks postpartum and I think it was the hormones that made me do it, but, (laughs) but I'm glad I did. But I went from just $1,500 in revenue. That's all I had a month. And I did not want to tell my husband like, oh my gosh, I think I made a mistake. You know, we're going on the third month, the third month at just $1,500 a month. And I had like medical bill, like we had a lot of stuff to pay for after the baby. And I started looking up just waitressing jobs online at my third month because nothing had happened. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to like tuck my tail and just, you know, go back and do something quick. But that next week I signed that contract and it has just grown. We went from one school and Uh one service, and now we have almost 40 schools and we offer six different services. And we used to just be in Pennsylvania. Now we're, you know, nationwide. And 
again, we've raised $10 million in one year for our schools. And that's that's going to impact tens of thousands of students in our state. And so it was a very rough road to get there. There were days of crying, despair, just thinking at least kind of going back to what I felt when I was younger, like you're a nobody. You thought you could get out of here. Like, no, you're stuck, you know? And, but I just kept being defiant (laughs) and saying, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Whether I crash and burn or not, because I've never bet on myself. Never, never. I never truly believed in myself to the core. And with this, I knew I was in it for the right reasons. And if I was successful, boy, the people around me and other kids and charities were really going to benefit. I'm not one to hoard money. And I I don't look at the money in my bank account and stuff like I've been dirt poor. It doesn't mean anything to me. You know, the thing that it does mean is the impact it can have for other people. So I just kept going and going until it worked. This is what I'm really curious about, right? Your postpartum, you're six weeks from having a baby. Yes. I can only presume that this being your third, that you're still exhausted and not sleeping. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you decide to quit your job. <laughs> you have a business plan? Yeah. So I started while I was working with the other guy. I was like, he just just made me feel like I couldn't do it. And that was a big mistake because he just, <laughs> do not tell me I can't do it. You know, He did. And so I did writing up a business plan. I had an idea and I had a just wonderful, my old school that gave me the scholarship. They were the first school to sign my new business. They were that $1,500 a month that just got me through because uh-huh. they believed in me. And it's really cool because we raised them almost a million dollars in that year. Phenomenal. Wow. But yeah, I think I was a little crazy. I was so exhausted, just delusional, but delusional in such a way that now I had these three children. And I didn't want them to feel like I did my whole life that you have to fit here. Like this is all you were meant for. You know what I mean? You're high enough in life. Like you don't get to go any higher in the, on the ladder. I didn't want them to feel like that. And I just was not taking failure as an option. It was not even an option in my mind. I believed it. I actually took all the contracts that I wanted that quarter of a million dollars that I signed there were several schools that needed to make that up. And I printed out the contracts and I signed them because they say, you know, if you do that, it works, you know, and it really swear it did. And I genuinely believe it to this day. If there is something in business that I want to have happen, I go through the motions and act as if it happened already. And it works. (laughs) (laughs) At least it's worked so far, but no, I think a lot of it is I have a great team too. So One of the women that I work with, her name is Brooke, and she works with me at that other development company. She, I told her my idea and she was like, Elise, it's a little crazy, but if you go and you are successful, she's like, please call me. I will follow your vision, you know, to the ends of the earth. And she does. And she was the first person I called. And so it's kind of me and her two moms on a mission to make a difference for students. And they're very committed to the mission. And I don't want an employee that isn't committed to the mission first. Like they have to be committed to that vision. Yeah. Well, and that's what, for me, at least creates the best teams. Like if everybody's bought in, then you're all blood, sweat, and tears and laughter and joy all at the same time in those moments, but you're doing it together and you solve bigger problems better, faster. Yep. I tell my husband all the time. So we mostly work from home and he works downstairs and 
I keep telling him, I'm like, I need an office downstairs. He's like, Elise, I cannot work while you, Brooke and Kat are the three that we really brainstorm. We have these brainstorming sessions every morning at 8 a.m. of like, what are the problems? How are we going to solve them? And they last for like an hour, sometimes two hours. And we're just, you know, women on there coming up with ideas. And it is so important to have that team around you that sees it, wants the same thing. And we're willing to put in the work because it's making a difference. And we know within our lives how much it has helped us. And now we get to do it for other people. Yeah. And the kids that you're impacting, they're all low income mm-hmm. kids, right? So these aren't, these are kids that would not ordinarily even have the option of going to private school. So how do you see that fundamentally changing the communities that they're coming from? Because you said when one kid gets out, they lift everybody up. So as I said, what are some of the stories that you're hearing? Yeah. So it's really wonderful to see the difference that it is making. So We've had even the woman that I work with, her name's Brooke, and she had a daughter that was being bullied in public school, pretty bad. And she just didn't feel like she had another option. At the time, we were working with another man and we weren't making very much money at all. I think he paid us like 11 bucks an hour. (laughs) Yeah. And but she couldn't afford to wish it, you know? And so now... Emma is her name and she goes to a private school and she doesn't have that bullying and she's just flourishing. Like it's wonderful to see. And like her friends are transferring to these schools and realizing these parents in these communities that felt like there were no other options because they can't afford tuition. So they want the best for their kids, but financially it was not obtainable. Mm -hmm. And it's awesome to see how when one student's helped, they start, these parents start talking in that community. They start to realize there is an option. And it's watching one child go to a private school and, you know, start feeling loved and thriving. And then them talking and more students just keep coming to that school. So we've seen that again and again. And that is what makes me happy because, you know, these kids that aren't receiving these scholarships, They'll never know my name and they'll never know Brooke's name and they'll never know redefined advisors, right? Our name's not on it. And we know that those dollars directly impact students, right? But the impact, that secondary impact is much larger, right? Of one student gets it and then more students are able to. So it's really cool to see kind of the silent change that we're having and the impact that we're bringing that is faceless. And that's how it should be when you're doing good work is it's not about you. No, at all. I hope no one knows my name when it comes to a scholarship because I want them to understand it's a stranger and a stranger helped them and has changed their life. There's something so amazing about that for me. I, on a very different level, but I randomly give out a hundred dollars to people that I don't know. And it Mm -hmm. has to be random 98% of the time. It's, they don't even know what they're getting. So I don't ever see their reaction, but I did this last time I did it because I gave it to the guys that I give. I was getting my car washed out and I hadn't planned on coming back as I was getting ready to leave and move out of Philly and then ended up needing to get the car washed. And the guy that I gave it to, they pulled the tips and I didn't know what he was going to do with it, whether he would pocket or pull the tips or whatever. But the owner of the car washed when I went by was like, oh my God, thank you so much. And the gratitude was mm-hmm. unbelievable, which was really nice to experience. And 
for me, it's really about practicing the non-attachment of how it's received, what they do with it, what they get out of it. It's just knowing that somebody did something randomly mm-hmm. and you're doing, I mean, at a much bigger, obviously much, much bigger scale, but you're touching kids who are going to affect communities. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's not even the education. It's they're in places where they're loved. They're getting better food, sometimes probably more regularly than they were before. They're developing different relationships. I mean, you're creating fundamental change and they don't even know you. Mm-hmm. That makes me, it gives me goosebumps when I think about it because I love the, it's been hard for me to do these podcasts and I'm writing a book, um, a memoir. And at first I was just looking for someone to just write my story. I don't need my name on the title of the book. Like I don't need my name. It's not about me. And I, I do think that there's so much beauty in removing my person from the work that I do, because again, I want children to understand that the world can be good and you don't even know it. You know what I mean? Like there are people out there that don't know you, that don't owe you anything, but they love you, you know? And that's what I'm hoping is by kind of removing myself from that, that that is a message that they get and not like, oh, thank you, redefines and think, no, it's, there's good people in the world and they can hold on to that hope that one day that good will come to them. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a beautiful message. Thank you. <laughs> Shifting gears back to business a little bit. What's been the biggest challenge because you've grown rapidly in the last year? I mean, you went from 1500 to you've raised 10 million in a year. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So it's been <laughs> <That's> scale. <laughs> yeah, that is scale. Yeah. We genuinely at times it's been so overwhelming, but we are, it's those brainstorming sessions with these three girls, the three of us, right? Me, Brooke and Kat, and we just hash out everything. And so I'll come up with an idea and they're not scared to tell me that it's bad or that this is what they'll change. And I'm not going to be upset that they told me my idea was bad, you know? And so we've, through that, we've always seemed to have made the right decisions because we hash out everyone's ideas to the point where like everyone has thought of what could potentially happen, what could play out from these decisions. And we've predetermined what we would do when that happens or if that happens, right? We have created, we work with a lot of technology to streamline and automate a lot of our systems, especially on the enrollment lead generation technology that we do. At first, it was very work intensive, but now we've created kind of like bots that do the work on the back end through computer systems um, instead of us having to have people do that. But we have tried to automate as much as possible, but we had some growing pains. I mean, I had to fire my best friend's husband. That's hard. That was awful. And had someone told me that was going to have to be a decision, I think I'd be too scared to ever start the business because I would never want to hurt anyone like that. And it would is devastating. But so it, it has not come with without hardships and those types of relationships. Thankfully, my best friend and I, we were through it and we're still and nothing will ever break our bond. But those tough decisions have to be made in order to grow. And in a startup, when you're just kind of creating these ideas, you don't necessarily know exactly how everything's going to play out. So you better plan. And you need employees that are adaptable. So employees, you know, those out-of-the-box people. I need the why employees. 
I can't have employees that want to fit in a box because I don't know what this box will look like. Or if it, well, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. And neither will my employees. And I need them to just be like, you know what? The mission's taking us this way. We're going to move and shake the way that the mission is taking us. So I think having employees that are adaptable and again, whatever it takes to make this mission happen and change as many students' lives as possible. I need employees that believe that first and foremost. Like, I don't want an employee that feels like they need to make 30 calls a day. Like, I hate doing that too as a boss. Like, I don't ever like to say, you have to complete 35 tasks a day. And then that means that you're doing a great job. No, like, that is not me. I don't get into the details. I'm going to tell you my plan and what I envision. And I need you to implement because I am not an implementer. Like, I am the vision. And I need people to help me make that vision to come to life. So I'm very aware when I do hire employees, what their strengths are. Because the last thing I want to do is hire someone and then their life not be fun and like their work not be fun for them. Right. So I really do try to match what they like to do with what I need. Yeah. And I think what you said is so important, both. Well, there's like five things in there as also a why person, like I'm infinitely curious and I need to, as you said, understand like what the reasoning is behind anything. Otherwise I don't buy in. And the fastest way for me to not do what you want me to do is to tell me that I have to, but I want to be surrounded by people who are thinking different thoughts than me. And that's one of the things that's been fun for me with my team is like, I want their input similar, like tell me, you know, all my brilliant ideas really aren't brilliant. Yes. (laughs) So surrounding yourself with different people who can keep you on the straight and narrow and giving them permission to do that is, for me, one of the many characteristics of a great leader and a great CEO. Yeah, I think that I've been so fortunate. You know, I've been in management positions, but I was always told how to be a manager, right? So like when you're working in corporate America, they're like, okay, we're hiring you as a manager, but we're going to tell you exactly what to do which is the complete opposite of what you should do as a manager, right? And so it's been nice. One of the the coolest things to see is, you know, I pay my employees exactly what I pay myself. You know why? Because they deserve it. They deserve it. They are just as much of the team as I am. And it's been cool to see how much more driven they are when they know, and they don't doubt it, that as the company grows, so will their financial success as well. And I will always keep that promise. And it's been really cool. I I mean, we set up a pension plan for our employees. Like they have a pension. How cool is that? And we, it's just been fun to share all of the blessings. And I always told God, I bargained with him, which I know you can't bargain with God. But I used to say to him when I was starting my business, I used to say, I'm in it for the right reasons. And if you make this successful, the moment that I do not give back and that I start to hoard the money that comes in, take it all away. Take please. And I believe that with every fiber of my being, that the moment that I start feeling like, oh, I don't want to give to my employees because I could have this is the moment I wish God takes it all away because that's not why I started. I am so happy in my life, even if I'm poor, you know, and I don't want all of this. It actually scares me sometimes because I don't even, I don't even know what to do with what has come in. So we just give 
and give and give away as much as we possibly can because it's not about the money. If I can have a, you know, minivan to drive around and my kids have food and like we live, you know, a decent life, I have joy in my heart regardless of money. And I think that's proven to be one of the reasons why we've made the right decisions as a startup, because we don't care about how much money, like, yes, there are services that are worth, we charge $1,500 a month for schools for, to raise them money. We don't keep a penny of what we raise them. There are companies out there that think that's crazy. You should charge 20% and a monthly fee, right? We don't even charge a 20%. We charge the smallest monthly fee that we possibly can. And that's why we've grown so quickly because our profit margin is not that high, but we can scale it. We're not in it for just to, you know, keep it all. We want the money to do good. For me, it's like, that's such an amazing and fantastic way to look at not only creating more more impact, but prosperity and that you're bringing in large sums of money. But because of the way you look at money, putting it back out there, it just keeps it in constant flow. Like if you were actually to hold on to it, you would stop the flow. Absolutely. I feel that. I genuinely, that's so interesting that you say that because I feel the same way. Like I don't want to stop. Like why would it all come to me and then just stop with me? I don't understand. I do not understand. And I met with a financial advisor, which was like mind blowing. I never thought I'd be there, but I had to meet with them because I'm like, I don't know what to do. And it's starting to make me nervous. And we were going through like different plans that we could offer our employees. And I was like, well, I want to do, you know, the pension plan where they don't have to put in money from their paycheck in order for the company to cover it. We just put it in, right? Like we just give it to them. And he was like, are you, are you sure? Like no businesses do that. But I'm like, why? Why do business owners not choose that option? He's like, because it's way more expensive. But I'm like, for me, that doesn't make sense to me. It genuinely, like my mind does not understand that, oh, if I would offer just a regular 401k, it would be cheaper for me. So I'm going to do that option. But it wouldn't change my employees' lives if I did the one that the pension plan, you know? Yeah. Like, And so it's never, it's very odd to me seeing now where I am and the decisions that people on my same level, the decisions that they're making, it blows my mind because they have the opportunity to do much more good and they're not. And it really frustrates me sometimes. And I think that's the biggest difference among a lot of women entrepreneurs is that it's not about what the least expensive thing is. Our framework is really about what's going to get the best results. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the cost is just something that you plan for and you make happen so that you can get the results. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know that my employees, I know how grateful they are. And I know, and I can see their belief in me every single day when we're working every day, because they do, they know in their hearts that if we keep pushing and we keep getting results. It's going to benefit not just their, you know, their immediate family, but they're going to get to a point where they can benefit their extended family. And we're we're taking everyone on this. Like, it's not just the me show, right? That's going to go on this journey and be alone. Like, I want to take everyone with me. Yeah, which is fantastic. Like, it's it's fun. (laughs) It's more fun that way, too. It just makes every day when we wake up, we're like, this is our job. Like we cannot believe we've been this blessed that every day, this is what we do. I would do this for literally, I would volunteer to do this without pay. So the fact that we can even earn a living 
doing this is extraordinary. It makes it more fun when your employees know that they're along for the ride with you. It does. Yes. I'm speechless for a minute. (laughs) Yes, it does. At least this has been fantastic. Like, I love your story. I love what you're doing. I love your energy. I wish you so, so much success, but share with everybody where they can connect with you. If they want more information about what you're doing, where can they get that? Sure. So that's a great question. So our website is redefiningeducation.org. You can also visit if you're interested in the lead generation technology, which will give you private schools real-time leads that are based off the website traffic that they're seeing on their enrollment tab. You can actually go to enrollmentcampaigns.com. And I'm on LinkedIn. That's probably one of the only social medias that I really use often. So Elise Maslonic, M-A-S-L-O-N-I-K. And that is how you can reach me. And I look forward to, you know, anyone that's listening and that's interested in my story. My memoir will be complete in June of 2023. So check out that book whenever it's ready. Yeah. I can hardly wait to read it. I'm so excited. It's been very cathartic, you know, to write it all down. I always tell little bits and pieces of my story, but I've never really put it all on paper. And it's been a bit overwhelming to realize, but beautiful too, to see, wow, look at everything and you're here. So it's been really kind of cool too. Yeah. Cause it does like, I'm sure most of the time you're only focused on one, like little pieces of it. So to see mm-hmm. the whole story kind of from the 30,000 foot view is, mm-hmm. yeah. Cause that's what I'm looking at. I'm like, holy God. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really cool. And I try to, like I said, for so much of my life, I just very steered away from talking about it because I didn't want people's pity. I didn't want to feel that shame. And now it's like, okay, I'm just going to lay it all on the line here because someone, some child out there will benefit from hearing the story. So I'm just, I'm going to do it, even though I'm scared and nervous to share it all. But I think that I feel like that's why I struggled and why I've been put on this earth. I really believe that. So I just got to be vulnerable and live in the truth. Yes. I wholeheartedly agree for all of us, not just you, but for all of us, because the vulnerability creates connections. Mm -hmm. So Elise, thank you so much for being on today. I'm so sad that we have to wrap up. No, I appreciate it. It's been a great conversation. So it was great to see you again. And I look forward to maybe catching up in the future. Absolutely. It's my hope that you find at least one nugget of value in each episode of Women Who Build Empires. And if that's true, please follow and share Women Who Build Empires with your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcast. Your support is what will help this podcast be found by more women just like you. 